Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. And today I've got a gentleman who I've, I've, I've admired for a long, long time. The first time I saw him cut hair, I was completely mesmerised at what he was doing. Um, he's a, I've since found out he's an absolute gentleman. Today I'm talking to MK. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling enjoying good. Life and, um, yeah, enjoying life and can't wait to get back on the chair, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when this will go out, but we're only a few days from getting back out there, so I know we're all chomping at the bit. Yeah, definitely. The yeah. causes are coming through, so it happens. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's get right in and, and, and begin at the beginning. Like, um, the young MK, how, how was the young M- MK, and what, how did he see his future? We'll take you back to a, a very young man at school, say. How, how did, how wow. Did you, you know what? I, I wouldn't really know what... Um, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, in fact, I did have a goal in mind when I was young and I wanted to be a stuntman. Right. Yeah. I wanted to be a stuntman. I thought I was going to be a stuntman because I liked the fall guy, you know, that, that program, yeah. the fall guy. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to be a stuntman and I turned out to be a barber. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's slightly a, yeah. Slightly that way, and the yeah. stuff man's like somewhere down there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I think what what it just happened. I stumbled across barbering. It, 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 I was at school, and one of the things about school is when you're going through school, there's always that identity crisis where you're trying to find out your place in it. Yeah, are you the leader or the follower? And you don't. Re- and there was something in me where I didn't like the, I didn't like the following. But I wasn't, didn't feel like I was a sort of like do what everyone else was doing. I was still much, a, very much a leader in my own right in terms of what I was doing, but I was a very quiet leader, just sort of like, I'll do my thing. I won't really cop anywhere, but I'll hang around with you guys and yeah. whatever. But there was something that I just, I, I just felt that I needed something. And I just remember um, it started off in right, in right at the beginning, first day of school. First day of school, I've gone to school. And a bunch of guys come up to me, we were playing football, and they've just come up to me, bullied me, taken my ball, kicked it, and kicked it way over so you couldn't get it again. Right. And I was and there was like, I can't remember, there was a few of them. 
And I was like, what's going on? So I went to try and fight one of them. And then all of them ganged up on me. So I kind of just like punched and then ran away. And then when I ran away, I went to run away and find all the guys that I knew. Well, I didn't know because it's my first day, but I just went and found all the black guys that I knew, literally, <laughs> on the first day and go, oh, these guys have just done da-da-da-da. Let's come together. da da let's go sort them out. And we just went and sorted them out, one by one in the toilet. And that's how I was as a young lad, just clean. I don't trouble anyone, but you come my way and it's a yeah. different story. And I w- it was just like that. And he was didn't do your homework, and you had to wait after school. Uh, we would all wait for him. All of us. There weren't many of us. There was only in my whole year. There was like. Six black guys, three black girls in the whole year. And there was about 200 people. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's how, that's how that was. And then, so I didn't really have anything on understanding where I was going to go, but that was it. I just liked that leadership part. And um, then what happened was we was going to go to a party and there was a, a girl whose party it was. And this girl was known as a bit of a... Uh, let's just say she was uh, partial to the opposite sex. Let's just say that. <laughs> and, um, and probably more partial than others. And um, so we was walking down. It was Walthamstow Market. Can't, can't forget the day. And none of, us, um, none of us had a haircut, but we was walking down the market. And my mate goes, oh, my gosh, look at that. There's a massive dildo in the window. I was like, whoa. It was like, seriously, it was like, why are you putting the dildo right in the front of the shop? And it's not even a sex shop. It's just like one of those, um, you know, odd bits and bob shops. Like you just go in, you can go and get a battery for a phone or you can get a, a Hoover bag for your Hoover. Or a dildo. Get, do, do you know what I mean? Or get a, 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 a toe clipping thing for your, for your toes, that sort of shop. And, um, and right next to it, once we've gone there and had a little laugh at it, Right next to it was a wall, little trimmer, and he stabbed it, had this little face of a black guy with these lines in his head. Right. And it was a blue one. So we went on, um, we looked at it and was like, oh, we should get that. It was like 16 quid. There was four of us. So we all put all our money in, four quid each, put money in, took it, went back to my mate's house. His name was Mark Pinnock. Went back to his house. Everyone butchered each other. And mine was the best butcher job. Right. And from that moment, I was the school barber <laughs> and literally it just started like that. And I just got better and better. And as I got better, I started charging a bit of money and I was able to buy records yeah. and I was able to fund um, my studio time that I used to like going into the studio and emceeing and stuff like that. And, and I was part of a rap group at the time. And, um, you know, we had, a, we ended up putting a little track out on white label and it got to the radio stations, local ones, and um, did a couple PAs even. Um, but I just liked music, and I was able to buy my own decks and go out and enjoy myself. And I was like the first guy that was able to go out and get, have a girlfriend and get in a cab 
yeah. and go to the cinema yeah. and get a camp home. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it, I just, it felt really good. It was a really good part of independence. And I just, um, yeah, I, I, I loved the position. And I was able to meet a lot of my friends' brothers. Yeah. And then their, my, fr- my friends' brothers brought their friends. Right. So the age group of which I was associated with or was allowed to conversate with started to go up and up. So now there's this, there's this 13 year old going on 14, have talking to 26, 27, 19, yeah. 18 and so on. And so all these different ages I'm able to have conversation with and I'm learning so much about how the elder generation kind of yeah. maneuver and do things. And it was just a great position. And I was able to, get into the older parties and yeah. because I had decks and they would come around my ass and I'd be able to cut and they would, and they would say, well, can you mix? And I'm like, yeah, I can mix. Oh, oh, wow, you're good. You know, we've got a party. Da, 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 da. You should come down. And I'll play in that older parties and I'll bring a couple of my mates and I'm like, oh, M, M's got, we went to this party and oh, there was loads of girls there, this and that. And I was like, feeling like, you know, I'm like the man, like, you know, because everybody would, um, would, would just hear about the fact that I was able to, I'm like a 14 year old and, 15 and I'm able to go to 19, 21 year old parties. Some of them I'm playing at, some of them I'm just attending. It was, it was a, to be honest, school life was wicked. I loved yeah. every aspect of it. Loved it. Once I found barbering at like 13, that was it. School, the, 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 the next three years was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant in everything. And I, and I, it gave me confidence everywhere because I was good at cricket I was good at rugby, I was good at athletics, I was good at tennis, and I was in all the school teams for all of these sports. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, and yeah, I had a really, really good time. I can't really, I can't fault nah. my, um, my um, secondary school years at all. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. So there was only, like, what'd you say? So there was only five or six black kids in the, at the school at the time, was that? Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, at that time. Because I remember I was when I I think it wasn't until I was about fourteen that the first black kid came along to our school. Yeah, and I remember him like, and he was a. I, I made friends with him. He was um, a guy called Harold. His name was Harold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, but it was it was it was so surreal, you know, like that we we hadn't, you know, up the, out in Essex where I was going to school. You know, he, he was, he was, and, he, and I, I think back, and I think he was the only kid on his own that, you know, yeah. it's bad enough starting at a school when you don't know anyone anyway. Yeah, it is, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. I, I don't remember him having a hard time, but, he, he, you know, I didn't, I, I thought he was great. I, I, might, I, I, like, <laughs> I, try, I try to like everyone, you know. I think I got on a lot of people's nerves at that age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so did I, but um, it was mainly probably my, my parents who were just trampling hair all over the house. <laughs> hair just being stuck in the carpet. I've never cleaned so much carpet in all my life during that time. <laughs> it was just an everyday thing. And, um, you know, just standing. And the thing is, I, I wasn't allowed to use the whole hose, um, the whole thing. I had to use just the, ho- just the hose, you know? And then even when I was doing that, then my mom would complain and then say, no, get the broom. So I'd have to sweep it first to pick it all out of there. Because, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's ingrained in, it's yeah. bedded in. We need to brush that out and then hoover it. So I have to brush every day, then hoover it up. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah, but yeah, 
the good old days. <laughs> but, you know, that, that was great to, to, to get that jump start because, you know, I left school at 16 and then it took quite a long time, you know. But you was you hit the floor running then, didn't you, at a young age? Yeah, I did. And it was um, it was really good because if there's one thing you need in, in, in life is, is confidence. But I knew I had that anyway because it was kind of in me. Like um, when it went to swimming, I'd never swum before, but I just told the teacher, she said, can you swim? I said, yeah, of course I can. <laughs> I've seen it on TV many times. That's what I'm saying in my head. Yeah, they get in there, their legs flap and their arms go around. How hard could it be? <laughs> I went in there and it was just, you couldn't even see me. I was splashing so much. <laughs> there was just this splash moving from one side of the pool to the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that, I just jumped straight into it. Ice skating, jumped straight into it. Roller skating, jumped straight into it. You name it, whatever I wanted to do, I just went, yeah, that sounds like, oh, you just got to do this, do that. Let's have it. <laughs> so you could have been a full guy. <laughs> I could have been a I could have been a stuntman, definitely. <laughs> Probably a dead one, really. <laughs> With that attitude anyway. <laughs> so where did you like so then did you get a job in a salon at some point, like when leaving school or Well, you know what it was? I actually went in to do work experience. You know you did work experience in school. Yeah. So I did work experience in school um at a salon called um Finesse, which was in Edmonton, and um I did that. And that went really well. So they liked me. They said, oh, he's a well-mannered young man. Mm. And um, so I said to them, well, when I finish my work experience, could I come and do Saturdays? So I went and did Saturdays there. And that was where I had to learn my confidence because back then, you never saw a youngster cutting hair. There was no youngsters. I probably was the first underage guy in in a barber shop cutting hair unless that person was related to the owner yeah i'm yeah, sure yeah. i was probably the first person that was under 16 in a barbershop yeah i reckon i was because this is you're talking you're talking like 91 do you know what i mean that sort of yeah. that sort of age that sort of time and i was doing saturdays there and the thing is no one wanted the young guys to cut their hair so you know you, you i always hear this why am i cut here? Yeah? Boy, I'm mean, no one, no young man. I cut my ear, you know. No man, you sure him can cut ear? And, and that's what I used to hear every single weekend. Yeah. And um, and all I would do is, after a while, I had to kind of like innovate myself. So I would first of all, I thought, oh, let me be friends with the barbers. So I'll go and get the lunches and go and get the this, and hopefully that they might recommend me. They would just try. So yeah, no, you can go and cut his ear. Boy, him can cut ear. Well, I'm no one, no young, but and then and we're like, well, is that the end of you're not even gonna defend me and say he's good and nothing? So, well, in there, if you want him to cut your head, in there. So, that didn't work. So, I ended up, um, sort of like sweeping up around them. That didn't work. I ended up changing up, um, uh, my station. So, I'd made sure my station was always 10 times nicer and cleaner and what than they were. Then, I changed my dress sense. So I'd wear a barber's jacket. Um, I'd wear a shirt underneath it. I'd wear trousers and comfortable shoes. Before, I used to just be in trainers, and I said, no, no, I'm going to try and look as much of a big man as possible. 
um, and have a proper coat. I went and got myself, you know, big man's coat, like yeah. long one. And, do you know what I mean? And cover up my bag and I'd have my bag and it would be a proper bag and invested in a little leather bag and make sure I had my tools out. And I laid my tools out neatly. Yeah. Not that I knew this. I hadn't been to college. I, no, I just thought I want everyone to see that I'm, I'm in order. Um, that didn't work. So then the hair that I was cutting at home, I brought the pictures that I used to take. Back then it was Polaroids. Take the Polaroids and stick them all around. That didn't work. Then I would do a graffiti thing on my wall and then put like a, a scissors cutting through the, the thing to try and make more attention. That didn't work. So I put that logo on the back of my barber's jacket. And one day a kid was like, oh, you know, and then someone said to him, oh, yeah, he can cut your kid's hair because I think the dad wanted to get out quick, pretty quick. So I cut the kid's hair so he didn't have to wait. Now he's not having to wait for his son as well. So um, I cut the kid's hair. The kid loved it. And that was the beginning. And now I was the kid cutter. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as I got into the kid cutter, and then some of the, the fathers started realizing, my kid's hair is better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> so then I started to get one or two adults. And then, then you know, I had a, a little name for myself in that area. But then the boss started getting a bit leery and a bit this and wanted more money off me. And I'm thinking, wait, I ain't even left school. Are you trying to, like, take this and do this? And I'm like, nah. So anyway, I ended up leaving there and I just dotted around from barbershop to barbershop trying to learn what I could learn. And some places was absolutely disgusting in yeah. terms of its mannerisms, its habits, its standards. I didn't know what I was searching for, to be honest, Stuart, but it wasn't there. And yeah. some places I was there for one day, some places I was there for a week, some yeah. places might have been a couple months, but nowhere was longer than six. And I tried every salon and every barbershop in North London yeah. at that time. And there was one barbershop that I um, avoided because they were like proper. They had shirt and tie, waistcoat, appointments, um, really professional. Um, and I just kept avoiding it. And then to the point where I'd run out of barbershops to go to, I have to go there. What am I going to do? So I just went and took my friend and said, can I do a haircut for you guys and show you that um, I'm good enough to work here? That's exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I just said, can I do a haircut for you guys to show you guys I'm good enough to work it? And he went, okay, <laughs> when do you want to do this? So I went, I'll do this whenever, I'll do this today, do it tomorrow, whenever. He gave me a time and date to come back, went back, did it. He said, um, you're all right, but you've got to polish up here and there, but we can work with you. And I worked for him for seven months with no pay, um, near enough every six days a week. And I was there for like 10 hours a day. No pay. <laughs> yeah, no pay. Not a penny. Didn't even give me transport. Oh. And, um, you know, he'd buy me lunch here and there, but not no pay. But I just wanted to learn from the guy. Yeah. I'd heard about the guy. I went to one of the hair shows, and this guy's model, the owner, the boss, his name's Audie Cummings, he went and done a competition, and his model didn't turn up. So he went and cut his own hair on stage and put a little design in it, and he used his hands like like it was Braille, and yeah. it was like, and you're like, damn, that's got that bloody confident. You're just gonna feel, and then just go, and I'm like, what? I'm standing there, my mouth dropped. I was in awe of this guy. I was like, you yeah. didn't just cut your hair on stage in front of everybody with Braille technique. <laughs> I'm like, who does that? You know, and I just admired him from there. And he was just a phenomenal 
boss. And in a long, long story, cut short, um, I was there for like, three, was it four years? Three years? Three or four years. And I've gone from an apprentice with no pay to a manager running the shop with 16 staff under me doing shift systems from eight in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And how old was you at that point? I was 19, going on 20. 19? Yeah. Going on 20 and I was managing that shop, yeah. I was so determined. I just wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the boss. Yeah. Yeah, just wanted to do everything that he did and I just did everything. I didn't care what he told me to do. I just did it. And some of the things would make me really upset, Stuart, I'm telling yeah. you. Um, like, go and clean the toilet bowl at the yeah. back and the toilets and scrub yeah. down the front window. And, and we used to have to, you know, the, the front of the shop, you'd have to bleach it down and spray it down and then brush it clean and yeah. all of that jazz. Stuff none of the apprentices have to do now. No. Along with cleaning all the products on the shelf, yeah. along with holding the towels, along with doing the laundry, along with yeah. and all that jazz. Yeah, you know. But yeah, yeah, the, the pins out of the hair, sweep the hair up, and then like all this hair on the floor, we used to have to pick the pins out so we didn't waste any. You know, like yeah. <laughs> and we used to because mum was ladies hairdressers, it weren't barbering. Mum was ladies hairdressers, and we even used to have to the the perm papers. We used to have to like rinse them out and then put them on the windowsill. Oh, well, yeah, we had to pick the, the hairs out of the brushes, out of yeah. the rollers. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, th- those were the days, didn't like it. And um, I didn't, I kind of chose barbering anyway because during the time of me um, <coughs> going to college to do hairdressing, um, I went to London College of Fashion and and I, I was thinking of going into hairdressing because you couldn't learn barbering. Yeah. You had to kind of take barbering as a little unit and still do all of hairdressing. Um, and the only thing that made me not want to do hairdressing was the perm lotions back then. Yeah. Oh, they oh, stuck. Oh, they stuck, oh. Stuart. They were horrid. And none of the salons had air conditioning back then like they do now. Oh, it was horrid. Come the summer, it was heaving perm lotion. And back then, late 80s, early 90s, perms were the thing. They were coming Everyone in and out of the salon all day long. Kids, men, the whole family would come in and have a perm. You'd have, yeah. kinda, you'd have more perms at the same time than 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 sinks available to do the neutralising. <laughs> so you literally <laughs> was pulling people away from to get some water on to neutralise a perm in between. It was yeah. absolutely stunk. You used to make your eyes water. Oh, I, I couldn't take it. And that's, well, that was the main reason why I left hairdressing yeah. was because of the perm lotion. Couldn't take it. <laughs> Before you move on to the next bit, what, what I found interesting is that when you were going all around North London in all these different barbershops, being the man that you are now that I know, the one place you was avoiding was the place where, as you are know you now, was where you fitted the most. Yeah. It's but I was scared. I was scared. I didn't feel yeah. like I was worthy to go there. Yeah. Because I had no education. Um I had no idea. I was self-taught. This was all osmosis. This was me just yeah. learning through trial and error. And remember, back then, there's no YouTube, internet, videos, no. DVDs no. to pick up. None of that. So, it, 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 literally, you are questioning what you're doing and then going, oh, why is it not working? The way, why does it not look like that? Yeah. Oh, let me try this. Yeah. And then, it still doesn't look like that. Let me try this. So loads of trial and error. So you don't yeah. realize you're actually training yourself to actually 
become better just by observation and questioning what you're seeing, which is which is what learning is. Yeah. But then what we do is an art form. So if you think about an artist developing his craft, it's the same thing. But it, it's it's it was more so like that then, wasn't it? Because you yeah, definitely, you didn't definitely. have you didn't have all, all these uh, things to help. So you just had to find your way, and it's sort of probably like find your way around a canvas or find your way around some clay. Is you find you, you you your talent emerges, I suppose, after a while. Yeah, it does. But if you're not actually guided in the right way, like how my yeah. boss, Audi, he guided me. So he knew I had a lot of potential. And he's like, you've learned how to do this by yourself. And I went, yeah. And he was like, you're, you're, you're very good, young man. You need some polishing, but you're very good. If you're able to do this on your, with no one teaching you anything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And he was just, he was amazed at how good I was having not gone to any form of school, read any books on it. I've just done it. And it's because of the amount of people I was cutting every single week. By the time I'd got to him, I was 16. I had three years of cutting at least 25 people a week. Yeah. You know, that's minimum. That's just being fair because it was at least that. Um, <clears throat> so, and with, what, with, with him, what he'd done is he taught me how to question. And that was, that was the trick that I was missing. So, like a scientist has an object in front of him and he has no idea what it is. Maybe he's never seen it before, newly discovered. First thing he's got to discover, he's got to go through a series of tests. Is it a solid? Is it a liquid? Or is it a gas? And then once he's found out which one of those it is, then he needs to find out whether it's you know, flammable, permeable, uh, soluble, you know, all of those different things. He's got to go through the, the processes of questioning before he can decipher where this a chemical or item or thing that's found can be used. And it's that line of processing that he taught me how to do in barbering. So that even when he's teaching me how to achieve something, he's giving me the processes to check whether what he's teaching me is correct or not. Or whether there's a better way or a more easy way or faster way or, you know, or more just a more efficient way of doing it. And that was, yeah, it was just wicked. <laughs> loved it, loved it there. Loved it there. Well, that's a game changer. That's his teaching us to break things down and then and then sort of build them up with knowledge, isn't it? That's... Yeah, and the thing is, he wasn't the greatest teacher. He was just the greatest listener. And he always had something that would get your mind ticking. So he allowed you to be the best you. He wasn't trying to make you into him. Right. You would just be him because you're in his environment. But he definitely was more about you being the best version of you. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about him. And I, 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 Yeah, I love him dearly for that. Yeah. There's these people that come in early in your life that you carry through with you and you don't keep in touch sometimes, but they've, you know, like my, my, my boss, my first boss. And, uh, you know, they make such an impact on your life. I think not only as your hairdressing career, but a young man at that age, you know, they sort of influenced a lot of a lot of your attitudes towards your life as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was the one that kind of grew me, kind of boy to man type of thing because um, my dad probably didn't have the sort of best um, father son relationship with his father, 
So he lacked the skills of being able to pass that down to me and have the conversations and give me the nurturing uh, mentally or spiritually that I needed. His was just the guidance, don't go down that path, which is really, if you've gone down that path, then I'll just beat it out of you not to go back down that path. And that was basically, he was a disciplinarian, not a, not a, a, a mind coach or a spiritual coach or a, you know, yeah, that, that was him. So I kind of got my fatherhood in that barbershop and, and obviously speaking to men as well and learning from their mistakes and you find out why they're not happy today and why they're upset today and who's made them really angry today. And then you find out the story, the stories that led up to that incident. And those are great teachers as well. And you realize, whoa, you just, you come across some of these scenarios in your own life. You're like, well, I better not go down there. And then some of them you go, well, why not? Have a go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm relating so much to it as well, you know, like my, my dad was the same thing, you know, he was an army, uh, he was a PTI in the army and he, you know, he only had one way, but then his was such a severe upbringing that I think he done really well, you know, compared to that. And I think now that I've got children, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a much better able, you know, much better able to be a parent now, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it has, they have allowed you to look at what they've done wrong. Yeah. Or didn't quite get right. Because, you know, the, the thing is with the hairdressing game, the barbering game, because you're coming across so much people, you have no, you're, 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 you're subjected to comparison. And I don't know, I don't know a, a stylist or a hairdresser that hasn't done this, where you're comparing yourself to others and their lives and maybe the things that they've done or not done to yourself. Because you're trying to get an understanding, especially as you're growing up. Yeah. You're trying to get an understanding of yourself. You're trying to see where you fit in society and are you part of this and are you part of that? I mean, I know they've got the lower class, middle class and upper class and all that jazz. We don't want to go there, but you still try to pigeonhole yourself because of the way that you was taught in school that is, you've got to find a box for yourself, otherwise you're not whole. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sad, really, in, 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 in some respects, because you really need to find your own unique path. And it's only when you, you find an, a, a, a lane of confidence that you're proud of who you are and what you're doing, that you just seek to not worry about what anyone else is doing and just do your thing. Yeah. That yeah. that comes later, doesn't it? That's it does. It does come. It yeah. does come later. Yeah, it does. I've I've found that um, a lot of the time early on in life, I was actually yeah trying to be someone else. I didn't particularly know who I was, so I was trying to be whoever I was around at that time. I was trying to be more like that, you know. And 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 I didn't even know what I really wanted till later in life. So yeah, sometimes some people don't know for a long time. They never find it. I mean, there's, there's, there's aspects I thought I knew what I wanted, but I didn't, how can I put this? I didn't realize how much of a love I had for a certain aspect of my trade than the others. So there's one part that I really love more, which because it was just kind of an icing on the cake, I didn't take it that seriously that I could just have a career in just that path. I yeah. thought it always had to be a, a, a case where I'd have to accept that that's just a, an add-on. Yeah. And, and I really should have, if there's any regret I'd have, I'd say I should have just pursued that avenue of pure joy that I had then. I yeah. still have it now, but I'm just saying I should have just gone at it 
full pelt. But when you, you enter different arenas in life as you're growing on, you, you, you go back to a baby mode again yeah. until you kind of understood what's going on. And sometimes you stay there for too long and you end up listening to too many people yeah. and too many wrongings. And then you realize you've got to do it this way. And then you move up another stage in life and now you're baby again and you're still doing, and it's just yeah. on and on. And you're like, you just look back and you go, I've been doing this for too long. I keep going in this thing as a baby. But you, you're meant to go in there with the, with the baby hunger to grow but not with the baby attitude where you need a mommy and daddy yeah 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 <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. and, and 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 it's not until you look back and then you realize no i've got to stop this and you, you know many people do it many people may you know come out of it a lot earlier but if there was a trait that i noticed looking back now um it was that yeah waiting to be nurtured yeah yeah just because it's a new arena. Yeah. You know? Where, where did you go from that then? From when, when you was at that salon and then you, had, you said you had about four years there. Where, what, what happened after Oh, well, that? when I went from that salon, I just literally um, left and trying to start my own thing. Um, like next door to uh, my home. Kind of just built something really small and just started doing that there. Um, it was just like a little shed and just built something there and cut there for a little while, worked with a few people um, and worked alongside a, a really great guy called Wesley Regis, who used to be one of um, a guy that I used to work with just before I started at that proper salon that I was afraid to go to. Um, it was a salon called Eve's Academy. And um, we had learned there how to cut hair with just a razor and a blade. A razor, a razor and a comb, sorry. Right. And um, and this guy, Wesley Regis, I ended up, he ended up coming to work alongside me at my shop that I built at my um, at the family home and built it next to it. And then we both went off after a good number of years um, and we went and started a salon in a shopping centre. So we went to start the salon there and, you know, we really done really well. We put all this business plan together and we designed it and to the point where I know we I know we had I know we were doing well because there was a point where we had done an actual um uh business plan but we'd done systemic business plan because right. we were reading books and stuff like that and the floppy disk I remember them floppy disks you used to get and put in the thing yeah a little square thing um and the floppy disk got corrupted and we had to take it to a specialist to to, to hopefully recover what was on it and this was my first professional um how can i put it it was my first professional notion of of bureaucratic racism it was my first notion of it and what happened was the company was investigating us based on the floppy disk because they did not believe that two black guys from North London Shit. were capable of putting the work that was on this disc and that they believed that we had stolen it. Seriously, police came around and asked us stuff. We were doing this with the princess's, what do you call it, princess's trust. Princess trust, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we were, our business plan was being done through the princess's trust and they were assisting us and then offered us some mentors and stuff like that. 
It was all our work. So we only had to point them in one direction, give them one telephone number, and that was the end of it. But it was just a fact that they had the audacity to say that there's no way that two guys that have never been to university, never been to uh, 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 college to do business degree or law, could come up with a system like this. But well, we brought our systems and ideologies from, from books. Sorry? You actually had the place come. Yes. No word of a lie. We were investigated because we, they thought we'd stolen it from a company. Wow. You know, because this is a time where you've got not many companies, even with a computer in their businesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let alone us coming up with uh, systemic systems for operations and uh, 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 training and um, assessment and all of this jazz. And we had like calculated systems for knowing like, okay, if you bring someone in this, you're going to need these, these are your resources, how much that's going to cost and who's going to manage that and that goes there and that person manages that and, and, and what we're monitoring the flow of information that goes through the business. Yeah. We were doing that and yeah, we got investigated and that was kind of like my first taste of it and it was just like, wow, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. You know, so anyway, that kept, we got out of that real pretty quick and we started our business and um, the funny thing is, you know, when you work together closely, I don't know if you work together closely with someone. Yeah. But obviously, if you're working closely together, that means even your partners are getting the same amount of attention as each other. So his girlfriend, my girlfriend, will probably getting the same amount of attention because they would only see us when we're, when we're not together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of the time we were together. So our first two children, the dates of our first two children are days apart. <laughs> our second child his first child is like four weeks difference from mine yeah his first child four weeks difference his second child is the same day as my first child yeah yeah birthdays wise and you know but we've got both children are like the same ages just a few months apart a few days apart days like that because we were just doing things at the same time you know literally um and the one thing that was a difference is that when we were doing the business, we were doing it and, you know, enjoying the business, but we didn't see eye to eye in some things. Yeah. And I wanted to take it according to the plan and he wanted to just like get it going. And we just saw differences and it was only because of the children. As soon as we had the children, our ideologies changed. Right. Yeah. We were the same. We did everything the same. We worked the same hours. We did everything the same. But the moment the children came up into our lives, our focus switched in terms of what was really important to us and what was not important to us. And our priorities changed. And you can see it to this day. I've, only, yeah. I've got two children. He has five children. This day today. <laughs> he's a man after me. I'm not. Yeah, he's got five children, five <laughs> boys. They've been trying for a girl since then. Haven't got the girl, yeah. but yeah, it just goes to show even having a partner, you know, we just slightly changed, but it was, a, it was, it was still a good experience. We'd, we'd kitted out this shop, done it really well. We had people that used to travel and just gone past just to see the shop. Well, once the kids came, our ideology slightly changed and we saw um, different focuses for the business in itself in terms of the direction we wanted to take it. He was all about getting the bums on the chairs and getting any and just getting barbers in there and making it happen. And I was more like getting the right barbers in there 
and making sure that they're trained correctly before they they, they came in. And, it, you know, and it was, um, yeah, it didn't really work out too well. And then we had a few break-ins. We, our shop got broken into three times. Um, my car got um, vandalized a few times. And it was literally because we got a shop. It literally yeah. was. It was jealous people. Mm. Um, and it just got, um, yeah, it really put a down on things. And I even added some trophies that were stolen along with the stuff that was stolen before, um, yeah. which never get back. But, um, yeah, and long and behold, basically that, I think that we lasted virtually about four years. Um, and um, I, I kept trying to put money in it and, I, and it didn't work out. And I lost my, I lost the shop and then I lost the house. Um, I had to go back to my mum's, knock on the door and say, <laughs> yeah, can you have me back, mum? And, and, and it was, and this time I've got a little, I've got a little kid with another one on the way. Sure. Um, yeah, this wasn't, wasn't, um, wasn't easy. And uh, so what I had done, I decided to, I went through a bit of, a little bit of depression for about a month or so. And then I just got up and I went, no, I'm not having this. I'm not having this. My children can't have this. And uh, I sought about making a name for myself. So I said, right, I might not have a shop. I might not have a home. I still have me. I still got my skills. And I'm going to make something myself. And I literally went for every competition that was going yeah. during the time whilst I never had a shop. So whilst I was going for competitions, I was actually cutting hair and using the money. Every penny was going into building a shop. And um, that shop, yeah, just kept building, kept building, kept building, kept building. Um, and it's still the same, one of the same shops I still work from today. And this shop is now big enough where I've got like five chairs. I've got quite a, a, a waiting area that can hold up to at least uh, – yeah, I could hold up a number, a number of people because now I do seminars in the salon and I can have at least 20 to 25 people watching a seminar yeah. um, in in the salon. Uh, we've got two toilets, reception, a nice little staff room with everything it needs. Yeah. And um, we've got a long hallway that leads to the front of the, the, the building and some separate door and you walk down through the garden and shops at the back and I built it myself. Yeah. And... Um, that's kind of where I operate from today. I mean, it was a lot smaller back then when I, when I started out because yeah. I just wanted to just get going. And that was just enough for one, two chairs, um, a little waiting area. And I just worked from there and I had, still had a receptionist, still did what, everything that I could do and just made the best of what I, what I had. And I'm literally, I'm talking about working in overalls. And as soon as a client's gone, you know, I might go and buy some nails or buy some wood and I'll come back and carry on chopping and cutting and hammering and banging until the next client came along. So there was a lot of time where I'm working around dust sheets and plastic membranes yeah. and just cutting in a one little dust free area whilst I'm working on the rest of it. Yeah. And I did that for like, uh, I did that for three years until I was ready to open up in 2006. Yeah. And I opened up in 2006 and then 2000 and, 10 I did another extension and then I did my last extension in 2017 
Right. And that was where I built the the um, the, the uh, seminar area, so yeah. that we could then hire it out and allow other people to do it and do talks in here. And and when we're not open, we still can make some money from the place as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was just that was just a determination. I said no way, and I, I literally just said no way. And the sad thing is, because at the back of the garden, it was just grass, and I'm not a builder never done building in my life and I'm telling my people I'm going to build a shop there and my own people were laughing at me yeah and that was hard to take but I just did it anyway and I literally learned on the job and I had builders and plumbers who I used to cut and yeah. ask them to draw me diagrams yeah. tell me what I needed to do step for step and each time they came in I'd say right I've bought the parts how do I put this together and they would help show me how to put it together and then they would go away. Then I would go and do it. And then I would just do it literally week by week. Uh, sometimes I would have to go over to them, drive over to them or go and see them and say that. Sometimes I went on the job to watch them, how they did it, helped them out, bought them lunches, did all the things, swept up, cleaned up after them just yeah. to learn how to do the next bit. <laughs> and I did everything. I did the plumbing, the electrics, the woodwork, the, all that. And the only thing I paid, the only thing, oh, sorry. That's all right. That was me. Yeah, the only thing I the only thing I ended up um, paying for was the um, the connection. Like when you want to connect yeah. the actual electric to the fuse box, yeah, yeah, that's what I paid for to get my yeah. certificate. You know, because they would they would come along and check my job, so I'd pay them to come and check it as I'm going along. They go, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, and uh, that was the cheapest way of getting the job done. Yeah, you know, and that's what I did. And even in the last um, extension I did just a three years ago, I did. I went back to the same old because I said I've got to save money because I had some guys do some building work for me and they fluffed it up, absolutely fluffed it up. I wasted thousands on yeah. idiots and more idiots and more idiots. Yeah. And, and to the point where I was trying to get a cheaper job and it ended up being more expensive than if I'd gone for the, the pros. And, and literally I had to do most of it all again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've often said that if you want to, you know, like if, if someone's in the building and they want to make some decent money, is is to sort of do salon refits, because so many times over the years I've seen companies, and I think how are you ever going to make that money back? Because you're talking about two hundred grand, three hundred grand refits on, yeah. on businesses, and you think how much, how much have you got to earn to get that back? You know, yeah. it's ego isn't it, over. Yeah, you, you can make things. Yeah, I mean, my salon, I have to admit, I'm not, it's not even a brag, but I know my salon is nicer than most salons that you see in most high streets. It is, yeah. you know, I spent time on it. You can see that there's care and attention being spent on it and in it. And um, and I take great pride in what we're doing. And, and I don't think you need to spend, you need to spend good money. Yeah. I don't think you need to spend obscene amounts of money. No. If you, you feel pre prepared to get your hands dirty, and even if you didn't want to get your hands dirty, there's plenty of college students that yeah. are actually working to do this job as a trade that are in their second and third year of doing it. Go and get the ones in their last year. They've learned something by now. Yeah. You just have to coach them. And yeah. then you can just bring, you can bring one guy in that knows, it, knows how to do the job just to be an overseer. He comes in the morning, he comes at the end, and that's yeah. it. And he's just paying him to have a little look. He's yeah. the performer. We, I had my salon in 1988, and uh, my dad 
me and my dad spent three months, you know, get and it, you know, we bought, we, we just completely renovated the whole building. And, uh, but you had that sense of ownership and pride on it, you know, that when, when it, when he did finally open the doors, I mean, maybe I could have opened up. Oh, what I didn't think about was the fact that, I lost three months' money. <laughs> so yeah. maybe, if I'd have if I'd have got a big company to bang in, and I'd have had three months' turnover to pay them, you know. But I don't know. You live and learn. I, I was never when, when I the business. I wasn't a businessman. I was a hairdresser. I've been hairdressing ten years. Um, I was only, you know, like I was, I was, I was fairly young as well. I sold my house um, to buy the building. I bought the three old building. Um, I was only at that point 25-ish. Um, and then so I'd only ever just cut hair. I'd never been a manager. I'd never done anything like that. So I made many, many mistakes. And I learned as I went along, you know. Um, but I think that's sometimes the way, you know, if you fly by the seat of your pants a bit, it's the best, it's the, it's the best way of learning. In a, in a way yeah, yeah you, you do develop a good backbone I mean I'm pretty much the same I didn't you know there, as much as you couldn't even get barbering when I went to college let alone getting a business to go alongside it yeah. I mean and even if you did do business you'd get you know get some core foundation of business in general but understanding hairdressing business it that wasn't there no. you know to understand how to look after your clientele and and help you with that side of things. You've got to learn that as you go along. Um, but yeah, the, the business side of things is something that a lot of people in our industry need help with because we're what's known as um, uh, Michael. There's a guy called Michael Gerber and he says it so well. He says most hairdressers and barbers were um, um, technicians suffering, suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> And it's never a true word said. Because if I had known in the beginning that running a barbershop has got nothing to do with barbering, um, yeah, and now I'm focused more on getting out of the salon and focusing on helping other people um, do what I've done. Yeah. And managing a, a group of people and helping them build their careers. But I think that's, a, I'm in a much better place now to do that. Yeah. And he said, so that's a big part of your future, is it? Um, very much so, um, uh, mainly because being behind the chair, my mind is doing so much right now that um, I'm doing the world an injustice by staying there when I could be helping them in much bigger ways and better yeah. ways, um, not being constrained to that one chair. There's only so much you can do there. But going away and being away from that, there's so much more people I can help and assist and create. Um, and, and that's pretty much a lot more of where I want to go uh, for the future. Yeah, I think uh, even in this day and age, even though the industry's moved so much far forward from the days we're talking about, that now people are aware of business and, you know, they are actually running a business as well as a, working as a salon. But so many people don't get away from the chair enough. Even there's so many still, like, people that are running a, running a salon or a, or a barber's and they're, they're just behind the, the the chair too long they don't they don't take the time out of it to actually run the business no and and the, I've, I've been very much a victim of that myself um you know not running it as well as i should have uh, for a number of years and um just 
you know, fly by the seat of my pants type of thing, you know, but now understanding what it is that one needs to do to move forward, um, I've taken it a lot more seriously and gone right back really to how I was when I was telling, you know, I got investigated from my floppy disk yeah. because um, systemically everything has to have a system in it. And it's like, if you're going to do something, it doesn't matter what, what you're going to do. It doesn't matter how small it is. I don't even care if it's sweeping the floor and mopping it. If there is a way that you're doing that on your floor to make it look as shiny, and I like my floor shiny, I like to see the reflection of other things in the room on the floor. I don't care what's going on. I want it to look like a mirror. It might be a dark mirror, but it must be a mirror. I must be able to see everything reflecting off it. So there is a way that we sweep and mop the floor. But yeah, if there is a way, I've actually got to have that written down for how it's done, how you do it. And as much as you might think, oh, it's just sweeping and mopping, isn't it? Until you get an apprentice coming and do it and you're going, oh my God, where have you come from? <laughs> then yeah. you realise, no, it's not as simple as you think. Yeah. And, and that is with every single process in the business. If, if it's not written down and it's in the, in the mind of the, uh, the owner, then it doesn't really exist. No. And it all depends on whether you're, whether you're switched on that day, whether that department of the business is open or not. Yeah. You know? That's, so, that's, that's so crucial. I mean, uh, over the years that I came across, because at one point I worked with Alan Austin Smith and, and we was, I was doing um, the coaching. And I learned so much myself by coaching other people. But I was quite shocked that, that when I went to coach uh, some salon owner, that so many people work, they, you know, A, like you say, that there aren't systems in place. So no one, everyone sort of, and a lot of the time they're quite well-functioning salons, but they haven't got sort of systems there. So sort of people are doing everything by instinct. But you, you can't replicate that. You can't. You know, no, and the standards change all the time. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah, one week you're doing it really well, another week you're not doing it so well. You know, and you need it. You need everything in its place, and a place for everything. So once you've got your salon in order in terms of aesthetically, and then you've got the the the, the, the products and the resources that it needs to do those things, then all you have to do is then look at when you use it, why you use it, how you use it how you store it, how you look after it, how much it costs, and how long it's meant to be there for. And once you've got that in place, you can now have all the things that you need to train the people to do it, to know what the costs are of doing it, know, know how long you're spending on something, to know how much something costs, and so on and so on. And you can put a cost to almost anything when you ask those seven questions. Because without it, you can't actually put a cost on it. And if you can't quantify it, then you don't know if you, you need to do it or you don't need to do it. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. It's yeah. like, because that's the thing, and I saw it so many times, that, and, and people don't even have a, have a hand on, on, on profitability, you know, because without profitability, all you've got is a hobby. Yeah, I noticed that a little while ago and, I'm, and I realised that when you're kind of just going through and going through and going through the motions and you don't actually look at all those things and it's at that point when you realise, I haven't got the time to go and cut hair. Yeah. There's too much to do. Yeah, There's like six departments in this business 
and you're only doing like one. Yeah. So for all of the days that you're cutting hair, <laughs> all of those departments are closed. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not careful, the last one that will be closed as well. <laughs> so there'll be nothing. It's not. And, and then we go to, to this current time. On top of all of that, what we, we've just explained that, that, that this is why people just see it as a business that, you know, it just runs itself and out. That's, that, it doesn't happen. It takes a lot of time, effort, and emotion to get places open. But then we've been hit now in the industry with a pandemic where we've been, our doors have been closed. How's that related to you and your business? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt it a, a while, but it's allowed me... I, I knew from a long time, and this is the reason why I work the way I work and work where I work, because um, in the beginning, obviously, as I told you, we don't have a partner, partner that we work, and as soon as we had children, we saw differences in, our, in terms of the focus. And I look at him, and I'm in great ad, uh, admiration of him and his family and his union. He's got his five children and his wife, and they're just there and, you know, and, and having it. And maybe because I kind of focus so much on business – that I didn't manage to kind of set up that tight unit with my children and their mum, you know. Um, so that kind of broke down. But I still kept things very tight and were very close. I, I always found it was important whilst we was growing up, even though we weren't together, to mm. go out for meals every month so that yeah. the children could see us getting along amicably and having a dinner and talking and just learning the, the, the functions of a family and how it needs to communicate, regardless of whether we are a true one or not. But yeah. we can at least still be it, you know, in front of them and for their sake. And for that reason, I changed the way that I work. So I kind of only worked sort of like three or four days a week so I could spend more time with my children when need be or spend more time on my business, which made me just say, well, you know what? Let me keep it in a place that I own. So the shop that I have, I own it. We own the property. We've got freehold. We're not paying no rents yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. So therefore, I can afford for situations like this to occur and it not actually hinder me in such a way. Mm. Not that I foresee this happening, but I foresaw the fact that I knew I wanted more time with my children. And I'm so glad I did that because the bond that we have as father and son is really good. My children are like, you know, six foot four and six yeah. foot one, and they're bigger than me. Yeah. But they will still hug me no matter where we are and say, "Love you, Dad." Yeah. And I and I and I and if I and if I had to work that hard just to make that happen at this age, and, and it doesn't matter where they are, whether they're in front of friends anywhere, they will still say, "Love you, Daddy," even on the phone in front of their friends. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that it was worth it. It was worth every moment of being away and doing that just to have that closeness there and them still say and even now and again I still catch them they'll still say yes daddy yeah. Whereas, and then sometimes I'll say dad but they'll still say yes daddy and I'm yeah. like wow you lot still say yes daddy and then some people catch them they go ain't that cute and, they, <laughs> and then they caught, catch themselves and like oh, oh ain't that yeah. cute you know what I mean but, <laughs> yeah yeah so you know it, it was all about understanding to say to yourself, you know, whatever, regardless of what you're doing and where you're doing it, understand what you want out of this life. Do you want more life or do you just want to work? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because people that, you can work really hard and I've seen it in my clientele where yeah. they work really hard and they might have a good lifestyle, a big car, a big house, but the relationship with their children is not quite there and you can see it with the behaviorisms that the children have when they're sitting in the chair 
and the, ch- the parent is trying to discipline them and they can't because you're not around that much. So they're not, they don't take yeah. your word seriously. When you yeah. say stop, they're like, yeah, yeah, you don't mean yeah. stop. You mean just carry on a little bit, don't you? That's what you really mean. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When you see that sort of behavior, and then I'll have to tell them and, and um, take a stance and just say, look, young man, sit still, otherwise you're gone. You know? And little things like that. And you realize this is why I spent the time that I needed to spend. Because yeah. discipline's important, respect is important, yeah. and most of all, love is important. So it is about designing your life and saying what you want from it. And yeah. when you look into the future and say, this is what I want from it, what do I have to do now? You have a quick glimpse for where you want to go. You look at where you are now, and you quickly start doing the things that you feel will enable that to happen. Yeah. Like, like guaranteed. You don't really necessarily care about the glam and the fame I mean, yeah you could go out there and get the high street and be out there and have loads of this and that but if you don't want that headache then don't go and get it no. you don't have to get it just because everyone else is doing it do you want to cut hair yes do you want to have clientele yes uh, do you want to have a business clientele yes do you want to have an organized um, business where you're you've got people that come in for appointments and book next time yes do you want them buying your products yes do you want to have people that don't moan about your prices yes so then just go and target those people and get them and then start looking at where they go and you socialize in those areas and you take your business cards and you always have them with you yeah. and you just have fun in life and meet new people and tell them, you know, when you're free, come down, put down a haircut, have a chin wag and get a consultation. I'd love to tell you what you could do with your hair. You've got great hair. You're not doing it any justice, mate. Yeah. You know, and when you're doing that, maybe with his wife, say, yeah, go and see him. And then you just get clients like that. And yeah. I literally got clients from just going around and just talking to people and just being friendly. And See, that, that was what I did. And now I'll do it. So That's infectious. That, sorry if I cut you in, but I, I'm just, you got me, you know, like that. That, that simplifies the, the, the desire to succeed and that, as simple it can be. Yeah, because you, 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 as long as you're doing it for you and how you want to live. So if you want to live in a particular way, then say, well, maybe I don't need that big high street. Maybe I'll just go and get a small, smaller shop in another place. Maybe not on a, an A road. I won't get a B road. I'll go on a C road. Yeah. And then that way, on that C road, I've got much lower rents, which I can deal with. And all I have to do is have high intensity on marketing. Yeah. And I can do that with just my lifestyle in terms of where I go. And getting closer to my friends and my friends' friends. Yeah. So I go where they go, I go do what they do, and I advertise to my friends. And if my friends are not actually wearing the best hairstyles that I can provide for them, then you're doing yourself a great injustice. Yeah. Your friends are meant to be looking banging. <laughs> like they, everyone needs to know that you're their barber, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. that, that's that's how you grow it, you know. And then you just that way your friends will be really proud of you. Um, and they speak about you with pride, and you just let them know that you look fantastic, thanks to me. I mean, some of it's to do with you, but thanks to me, you look great. <laughs> you know, you have to have a bit of cheek with it sometimes, you know? The, the thing is, MK, that, that I've said, you know, like, it, there's a lot there's a lot happens in our industry, and and, you know, you take yourself very seriously. Um, I do in terms of what I go about doing. 
like for instance, you know, when I came onto the scene um, in uh, like professionally '98, and in '98, Salon International at Wembley, I'm like the only black guy in this show, um, along with Chris Foster. So it's just me and Chris Foster, yeah. And we're going on the wall stage, and we're showing the world who we are. Yeah. And we used to have people in stitches. Literally just laughing, but at the same time, sorry, That's at the same, sorry, at the same time, them laughing, they were just sort of like, not just laughing, but really enjoying it. So I've got to take my um wire and plug it in the actual phone. So I'm going to move the phone slightly because I saw the I saw the percentage going down. <laughs> and that's why it kind of blacked out a bit. So I thought, well, let's just sort this out. So yeah, so going into um going there at at that at that time and going in that competition, I realized, wow, I've got to I've got to step it up. I've got to make sure, right, because at the end of the day, they're gonna notice me. <laughs> There's no way I'm gonna be able to walk into a European hair show and and then not stand out. I'm gonna stand out like a white guy at the million yeah. man march. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So um I said, well, I'm just going to be the pinnacle of what I believe is a professional barber. So I would make sure that my dress was all right. I'd make sure that I'd read my textbooks every time before I do a show. That's the constant thing I always do. To this day, I still do it. I'll read a few pages of a textbook. And it's just to get my mind in gear, get myself knowing that that is the stature that you're going to be expected to uphold. That's the standard. This is the. It's a book. I probably know it, but and then to just read it, remind yourself. This is how you're going to have to speak. You're not on the layman's terms. You're not having a little chin wag and a jolly. You're going to go out there and do your job. But at the same time, you're now going to put your personality into it as you do in the salon. But you're still going to do that on a level because you still need to make people enjoy your demonstration or enjoy your teaching and enjoy you as an individual and kind of like get to know you. So you've got to mix your your profession with your personality, with a story, and then the sales, all at the same time and deliver it within sentences, paragraphs, phrases, stories, actions, all at the same time. And that's what I used to do and I used to, that's what I used to take seriously. And then on top of that was my appearance. It had to be pristine. I didn't care what I was doing. I didn't care what it is. I didn't care if it was loud, but it would be pristine. And I'd be in, in order, I'd be I'd very conscious of the fashion and colour coordinated and orchestrated in everything that I did. And that's how I took it seriously. But at the same time, never forget the fun because you just, otherwise it's, it's just going to feel like a job. Um, so it was about how do I get this point across, this message across and still be me and still have fun. And it was that, at that stage, from 98 right through 2004, and I reckon it was 2004, really, that the boom came. Bam! Everybody yeah. wanted to be a barber. Yeah. And I'd influenced nearly everybody out there in barbering because they kept popping along to the hair shows and seeing myself foster people like Five, and we're there showing off, doing our stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And then more and more, and the barbering just became hip, popular, and very fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my point is as well that, you know, and I, I, I mean that as a compliment that you take yourself seriously. And I don't mean, and as opposed to you don't take yourself too seriously, which is not you at all, but 
you know, our industry complains a lot. You know, we're not taken seriously. But then you have, you know, we we have we have a lot of instances where we don't we don't act professionally. Now, in this life, you can't have your cake and eat it, and that's why no, you can't. what you do because, like, you are on point when you're on stage. You know, you are, and as you say, you've, you know, you're 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 a very well dressed man, but it, it you you can't. You can't act in a certain way and then moan because you get treated a different way. Yeah, and, and that, that's the sad thing sometimes because you, 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 nowadays you go to shows and some people think, yeah, we're on the stage, we do the professional thing and we go back to the hotel and get completely rat-assed and do and say all sorts of things. And yeah. I've even seen fights. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, come on. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, we're not for um, But at the same time, I am proud of my industry and the fact that it has stepped up. Yes, it stepped up. Massive leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, and it's great competition that is all around the country. Yes, there was a large number of people messing it up for the rest, but I think you probably go into many industries and find the same crap, really. Oh. Yeah. Um, but it's just the fact that the ones that ruin it tend to be the loudest. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, they're the ones you hear. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones you hear and the ones you see, and yeah. you know, and 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 there's this um, there's a particular look that um, that is there as well, and you know, the young guys are coming up and they've got their looks and they've got their fashion, yeah. and you know, I, I don't want to sound um, old and start chastising the new ones that's coming up for the way that they are, but just don't compromise, don't compromise. The way that the way that you are for the whole of, like just remember that you're still representing something. Yes. And yeah. you, and what is this thing that you're representing? And would you want your sixteen year old son just coming into the industry to see you doing it this way? Yeah. And that and, and I think if you take that stance to say that I'm an adult at any time, and I'm a parent, at any time there's anyone younger than me in my presence. Because that's how I do it. Mm. If I've got a child in front of me and in my salon, I'm his dad. For that moment that he's in the chair, I'm his dad. Yeah. And I'm going to treat him as my son in, this, in the chair. And the same when I'm out in the street, same when I go and do a talk at a college, these are all my, my children, and what would I tell them? Just, just helping out and showing the next generation how yeah. the industry is and the attitude that you should have when you're coming into it, I think is paramount to how we do it. And I mean, I think it's important that you have your identity. And I think sometimes people are, are compromising their identity for the professionalism. Now, you don't need to bring your whole character to the, to the job. You just bring some of your character to the job. You're meant to enhance the job, not, not, not the job be you. You know what I mean? You, you, you be the job, you're meant to enhance the role, you know? So that your personal stuff, you keep over there. Yeah. <laughs> but you bring your, your character to the job, but remembering not to compromise the job at hand. And that's where I think some of the answers are going wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but that's not for me to say that they should be conducting themselves in this way. I just think that I think that you get an immediate change the moment that they put themselves in that position and then realize maybe they are exposing too much of themselves. You need to keep some of yourself 
for your family, your girlfriend, your children, you, 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 you know, and all the rest of your, 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 your friends. You keep that part of yourself with them that they only get to see and they only get to hear. But there's an aspect of you which still wants to allow people to hear you, still allow people to see your, your vision for life, your zest for life, um, your wanting to uh, um, help or assist or even show off. And if you just get into the reasons as to why you want to do that and what impact are you hoping for it to have on the people that you're showing off to and what would you hope for them to do as a result of that, then you will soon change your attitude and you'll find the right path on how much of yourself you should bring in there. Once you give the why and you give the what you're expecting and you're giving the what are you hoping for them to do with once you've done those two things. And once you do that, you don't need to confuse yourself with how much of yourself you need to bring in there because you've just got the, the model of what you're doing it for. Yeah. And that will allow you to know what part of yourself to bring in. And that's it. It doesn't have to get complicated. It just has to have a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the thing. You know, you, no one wants to listen to someone that just goes, hmm, don't like your top. Yeah. I'm like, why? <laughs> that don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> forget you then <laughs> you don't even know why you don't like what you like so <laughs> what's the point of listening to you but if you're actually going out there and performing your craft in that way yeah. you're doing that that's what you're doing to the industry yeah you're almost going to the, well I don't like that but why don't you like it yeah be the change make the change yeah. you know what I mean and when you have that reasoning you will be able to make your mark in your own unique way just by being you. But you must have the reason. Yeah. And it's that, it's that uh, being responsible and taking responsibility. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it, definitely. You know, like, and being aware that, because uh, it's not only on stage that we're looked at. In, in this society now, it's on stage we're looked at. Obviously, if we, if we get to be on stage, we've got a responsibility to be representative. But at the same time, we, we, you know, we can be judged on, on our social media, you know, and it, I, I do sometimes question, you know, what people are putting on there, you know, and I think... Yeah, and I know, you know, it, it does happen. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm a victim of it myself. I, may, I mean, I go and I do a show, as you know, at Training Day Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I'm talking to my industry and assisting and showing off and helping them and asking questions. But, you know, there's been a particular week where I was literally hurt by something that I'd seen. And it was from a group of people and friends that you would expect that you would expect to act and portray better. Yeah. But they didn't. They let me down. They let themselves down, in all honesty. But I was so infuriated by the fact that I had to speak about it to my industry so that they, these people could see the impact of what they do mm. and know that this is the repercussion of what they do. And it was only in lucky that it wasn't in person that that happened because I had allowed myself to get to a place that I shouldn't have allowed myself to get to because of that infuriation. Mm. You know what I mean? And as a youngster or as an individual in general, as we're growing up, it's very important to be in charge of our emotions because if, we, if we're not, then we, we give onus and power to that which we've allowed to affect us emotionally. 
Yeah. Because they now become the focus. They now have the power. They're kind of controlling you like a little puppet mm. because you're now not doing. And I was so infuriated for literally for two days, I didn't do anything that I intended to do. So I was deviating from my plan for two whole days just yeah. because I allowed something. But it showed an, a vulnerability on my side that I wasn't ready for. Mm. I put a, a level of trust in something that let me down completely. And yeah. when it let me down and it was racial and it was explicit and it was imagery, I was infuriated. So I thought, you know what, with the fact that I have training day choosers and I'm teaching people and helping people, there was an aspect of the raw feeling that came out that day. And as a part of me regrets doing it, but I don't, I, I do because I, I showed a vulnerable part of myself. But then again, I'm thinking this is life. And sometimes you're just letting people know that you're human as well. And you have feelings too. Yeah. And at the same time, I can acknowledge right there and then what I'm going to do about it and what you can do about it. Should you be in a position like what I am in today? Yeah. And now I'm here talking with you upon reflection. This is what I will do in the future to not allow myself to be here yeah. and to avoid you guys feeling like how I'm feeling now. This is what you can do now to build up the power to not allow people to affect you like that. So it just became a lesson for oh, not only me, but for everyone else as well. So I was kind of using it as my own therapy session to kind of talk to people about how I was feeling and about what I'm noticing about myself and what am I going to do to fix it? And what could you do to fix it to build up your strength? Because the strength doesn't come because you've gone gym and you, do, you can pick up weights. Yeah. It becomes on how you bounce back from adversity. Yeah. And you're only able to kind of bounce back from adversity when you have invested in those people around you. Yeah. So the people around you, if you've invested in them, when you're down, you can look upon that investment for them to help build you back up. Yeah. But if you've not invested in them, then they're not going to be there to help you. No. And Why would they want to help you? You've never been there for them. So you have to then now look back on yourself and go, who's around me that's important? Like, what would happen if, if something happened to my mother or my sister or my brother or my children or my partner or my friends? And, and what would happen? How would I actually feel if they were gone from my life or they didn't want to be a part of it? How would I actually feel? And from that moment, you knowing how much they mean to you is the moment that you have to recognize that and then go, this is what I, this is what this relationship deserves because I've acknowledged what this means to me. And I will ensure that I at least try to call them, I at least check on them, I at least um, turn up for when they invite me somewhere and I'll yeah. do this and I will get involved in that. And I'll ask about their children and I'll let them know that when they did that for me, how much I appreciated it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's years later. Because if there was repercussions, a, a ripple effect that affected you and changed your life because of that assistance and that help, let them know. I think it's so important because yeah, I saw something in, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Roberts. Um, he was a barber and he, um, he lo um, lost his life to an illness recently. No. And, um, you know, very experienced barber. He kind of revolutionized Milton Keynes with his barbering and, trained a lot of barbers that went and opened their shops in Milton Keynes anyway. It was right. one of the first barbershops in that area and kind of built up that area and the standard of barbering in it. 
And um, he recently passed away and I went to see him, um, fortunate enough to see him before he passed. But there was a strength in him that he made me feel almost ashamed that I was taking pity on him <laughs> because he was in a life-threatening illness. Yeah. But there was a strength and a buzz about him and he had this impact and feeling for now. Like he understood what the present meant. Yeah. Now I understood it, but I understood it. But I think at that moment, I overstood it. Yeah. Because he was so into the conversation that I was having with him. He was so into the conversations that he was having with everybody, his wife, his staff at work, and he was ready on the phone to, to help. But this man's about to die at any point, yeah. at any moment. But yet he's still giving because he understood, he overstood at that point that the present is the present for a reason. Yeah. And if you don't choose to unwrap that present, yeah. then there's no gift. It just sits there. Yeah. It's not a gift until you unwrap it. It's just a box with wrapping on it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to unwrap it before you can get the gift. It only becomes a gift once you open it. Until yeah. then, it's a box with wrapping paper. And that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. So... Um, and when I saw that, I was like, wow. And I looked at his, I looked at the wife. I don't really know the wife, but I saw the power that she put in him. Yeah. I saw the energy. And then I looked at her and I'm seeing the power that he's put in her. And I'm like, wow, that's it, man. Those love tokens, you got to keep putting them in there because you don't know when you're going to need to, you don't know when you need to make a deposit. I mean, uh, uh, um, um, what do you call it? When you take the money out, you don't know when you need to take the money out. So you need to keep depositing your love tokens because you don't know when you need to make a withdrawal. You do not know. And at the day that you need to make it, you're going to need those love tokens there. I said probably that one of the nicest expressions I've ever heard is love tokens, making a deposit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was, it was an eye-opener to see that. And, yeah. um, you know, it let me know um, just how important it is for love in a relationship. And it is the, it is the highest vibration and attainment that man can have. Mm. Doesn't matter how much money you've got. Doesn't matter how much salons you've got. Doesn't matter how many clients you've got, how many cars, whatever. Yeah. If there is no one to share it with, it means nothing. No, of course. Ever tried to tell a story to someone that wasn't there and it just loses its zest, doesn't it? Yeah. It loses its power. You know, you just need the other person that was there with you to just be there whilst you're telling it, just to give it a bit of oomph and a, a yeah. bit of... Um, you know, a better story and, and belief in the fact that they were there and they experienced it. So, you know, if, it ha if, if a story lacks power just because someone weren't there, then you know a life without having people to share it with is going to be a dead story by the time you come to share it. And by the time you come to share it, no one wants to listen anyway. Right. And that's the, and that's the thing that you don't want. So, it, it, and that's what's made me kind of change my life around and made me focus on my industry and barbering in a different way. Yeah. And that's what made me love teaching. And it made me um, change the uh, how can I put it? Change the affiliation with my industry. And it was mainly because of my children, yeah. because my children made me realize that I cannot teach them to be a child. 
they teach me to be an adult. Right. So they taught me how to be a parent. And yeah. that's when I realized that what I could get more out of teaching, I could become a better barber and a better stylist from teaching, just as my children taught me how to be a parent. Yeah. And that was how I looked at it. And yeah. Um, yeah, and just life just got better and better from then. And I was just able to just go around the world showing off, doing <laughs> haircuts. I, just, I never thought I'd be in Japan or Russia or Italy <laughs> or Spain or France doing a haircut. It's just a haircut. Back when I was 16, I was thinking, well, who's going to want to come and see a haircut? You know what I mean? And lo and behold, the world wants to see a good haircut. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I've seen your work. And at the end, when we put our, you know, I, I, when this goes out, I should put all the tags to your Instagram and stuff like that. And I really encourage people to go to go on your Instagram and go way down and look at look at all the stuff that you've done over the years. It's just the, the work you've done has been incredible. And, you, you know, it, oh, it, thank you, man. It, I've really, it's I've really, inspirational I'm, what you've done. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, man. Really enjoyed it. And I've, I've had a new spark of life as well after um, Mike Tyson is trying to come back in the ring. I saw him training and moving really, he was moving fast. It was yeah. absolutely wicked. I, I don't even care if I only get two minutes to see him do a great job. Like, yeah. he could have just two rounds of a fantastic two rounds and he just fades out after that. I don't care. But the fact that he's gone back to the gym, slimmed right down, and he's yeah. been off the same weight that he was when he was like 18 yeah. is like magnificent at 53. Like, yeah. come on. That's ridiculous. I, I know. And, and I was listening to, I listened to him on Joe Rogan and then I listened to Roy Jones Jr. on Joe Rogan. He had them both on long conversations, but both, both of them uh, have been in legends in their own time, but both of them have got that fire. You know, got yeah, they have got the back. fire, and and me seeing that it gave me fire again. Gave you fire, and, 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 fire. And, I, and I had to, I had to dedicate, and I realised I'd gone my whole life. I hadn't dedicated a haircut to Mike Tyson. I was like, no, I've got to do a haircut for Mike Tyson. Yeah. So I did a portrait of Mike Tyson. I was like, yeah, I'm proud of this. This looks wicked. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, put that out there. So I'm definitely going to relaunch that again when he has the fight and let everyone see that again and promote him and get yeah. that going. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good that you can look back on your work as well and you can kind of make it timeless with the yeah. fact that it's artwork that I, I, I've done in hair as well. Yeah. It's hair art. And I loved it because of the fact that I could concentrate. There was that real concentration. Not many people in life can ask themselves, when was the last time you sat down and spent three hours, didn't move, and stayed focused on that one topic for three hours without a break, don't go nowhere. Don't do nothing else. No. Don't sip a drink. Don't go and have a chit chat. Yeah. Three hours or more on one thing. And yeah. don't think about nothing else. Not many people do. No. And for that reason is why I like still doing designs and doing it at that high level because it allows you to train for focus. Yeah. Because there's not any other services that allow it. I mean, some people, that, you know, if they do ballet or maybe that might take them a, a, a you know equal amount of time but they're not constantly on it there's times when they got to leave it developed and they're going to have a, have a chin wagon a coffee you know yeah. but to be focused on there knowing that one wrong move and you're going to have to wait two weeks to correct it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be fully, fully fully engaged <laughs> like completely engaged yeah. it's not like make a mistake wipe a bit of tint off and then slap it back on yeah. or, 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 or rub it out or put more paint over it no once you've made a 
Mississippi State, that's it. You've got to be yeah. the king of innovator. I'll You've be, got to I'll innovate be. a whole new style, a whole new person, a whole new whatever yeah. it is. I've been and stood um, by, the, by the stage, you know, and stood mesmerised that you're working like that, you know, and it's when, you, when you're standing looking at it, and seeing it unfold before your eyes, it's, it's, it's quite magnificent. It's, it's stunning what you do. Yeah, thank you. And, I, I, and that's why I didn't want to ever let that die. And there was a number of people that made me kind of lose the love for it because, not the love for it, but it was like, oh, designs are out now, people don't do them. And I'm like, well, the Bob has been around. <laughs> since how long? Why is no one going to criticise the Bob? Yeah. Well, because that's a classic. And so is a so is a lion and so is a design, it's a classic. Yeah. You know, it, it's been around from the eighties. So, yeah. you know, for something to still be around in different areas of the world, it might not be around here, but it's still a yeah. thing. And if it's done really well, it's still people are still in awe of a well done haircut. It doesn't matter how old it is. Yeah. If it's done well, it will be respected and it will be adored. That's it. <laughs> Perfection is timeless. Yes, there you go. Thank you. And that's couldn't have put it better myself. Thank you. <laughs> that's it. I'm using that one now. I'm stealing that from you, Stuart. Thank Take you. It, man. Take it. <laughs> oh, MK, it's been an absolute joy. We've had a few. We've had a few uh, interruptions and a few stops here and there. But I'm gonna. I'm, my mate Stu is gonna put it all together. <laughs> and, wow. uh, That'll be fun. Honest, yeah. Good luck, to, good luck, Stu. Thanks for that. But it's it's um, it's really great, I, you know. And this is what I love about my new passion in podcasting is that I get now to have a really good sit down conversation with people. I've only managed to get little little glimpses of a you know little grabbed conversation here and there, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. When I can really, and I, I respected you before, but I've got a real utmost respect for you now, MK. Um, oh, I love you. what you've done. I love what you achieved. And, um, you know, as soon as we're out of lockdown, I'm going to come and have a coffee in your salon. Oh, you're more than welcome. <laughs> you're more than welcome. Come and see it, man. Come and see it. Yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. I feel <laughs> like I've, I've got to come now. I'm too, <laughs> I've am got to yeah. come now. I've, heard all, I've just got to come and sit there and have a coffee. <laughs> oh, good, good. You're welcome. But, well, um, thank you so much. No. Nah, good luck and I know we're going to work on something in the future you know like we want to bring the most respected industries we can an industry we both love um, and uh, thanks so much for your time today and uh, you take care I will do thank you so much thanks mate it's just over five years ago I did something that changed my life what it did more than I could have ever realised it helped me I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.